one. <laughs> Are you going to cut that out? Maybe. Who knows? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Okay. <laughs> you just waited for me to say that. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. We are unofficially... Stop it. Sponsored by Summit Chiropractic Maine. You can find it in Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> you said Summit Chiropractic Maine, so obviously we're in the state of Maine. SummitChiropracticMaine.com. Whoever created that uh, that website is a genius, by the way. Um, but where are you located? Tell them where you're located. Bath, Maine. That's Bath, all you need to know. Bath, Maine. Come get cracked. <laughs> that That is not what I do, necessarily. Yes, I crack people, but no, it's so much more. I'm sorry. I'm ruining this podcast. You're ruining my career. This is... Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're downgrading my career. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's all right. Welcome back, everybody. If you've made it this far, this is dope. It's good to see y'all. Welcome. Yeah. Hey. Well, we're not we're not actually seeing them. It's good to gently talk to you through a microphone and hope that you're still listening and not distracted on your car drive. I almost exclusively listen to podcasts when I'm driving in a car. I almost exclusively listen to podcasts most of the time, but I find that I zone out, like especially at the end of my workday, and I have to restart it the next day. Oh, really? No, I usually when i'm driving i'm driving for like 40 40 minutes to an hour oh so podcasts like always fits yeah my office is 35 40 minutes from my house my other office is almost an hour if i stop for coffee which takes about five ten minutes so Mm -hmm. yeah but the end of the day no i actually so i don't get to go home and just fucking relax i have to go home and do notes and do marketing and make sure payments are put in and run my business i have to do the business side I treat people from 12 to 7, but... You need to stop treating people and get treated, girl. (laughs) 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 Uh, One day. One day I'll get there. Maybe. You need a spa day. I would love a spa day, honestly. I think you really need one. I think I just... Honestly, I need to figure out how to take more time off. And I can afford to do it. It's just... When you own your own business, you just want to keep going and... Also, like, it's the pressure to help people all the time. You don't want to let people yeah. down and tell them, no, I get no that. I'm taking time off. Sorry. Like, I don't want to, but. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I do that, too, but in a very different way. Right. And you know, you do it all the time. You're like, overtime. you're like, no, I, can't, I have to go help these people because they can't have their server down because they're a hospital or whatever. Yeah. Or like, a vet clinic, for instance. Or a vet clinic. And they've got to treat people. and thinking about dead dogs. dogs. <laughs> and I'm right. like, no. People don't understand how much we rely on technology to keep our businesses functioning. So, yes, I get it. Maybe it's not bedside bleeding, holding arteries closed, cinching mm. them, tourniqueting them. But they need technology to do all that stuff. Correct. <laughs> they need notes. They need insurance. Blah, blah. I will not work for a hospital. Just FYI. Oh, I will never I work hospital I could not setting. do IT for a hospital. I would not sleep at night. No. Well, I wouldn't work for a hospital setting anyways. I'm not going to support Big Pharma like that. Also that. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about Flight 980. Flight 980. Okay. I love planes, first of all. So this is <laughs> going to be good. Honestly. So I, it was kind of hyped up. I'm never mind. I'm not even going to say never mind. I'm just, um, it's different. It's unique. Like, I'm coming off the Chernobyl, which was a lot of fun. That was very, great. It was. Love it was that. a wild ride. It was very interesting. This one is just, it's different. Okay. So, you ready? I'm, I'm ready. 
Let's do this. All right. So we're going to talk about the super mysterious plane crash of Eastern Airlines Flight 980. And we currently actually have no idea why this plane crashed. Really? No idea why. Wait, Eastern Airlines, you said? Eastern Airlines. I've never even heard of them. American company. They didn't last long, so... <laughs> well, they had a crash, so... <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, sorry about the cough. Believe it or not, they actually lasted after their crash. And obviously we know plane crashes happen frequently. Well... Enough I say frequently, to, yeah. less than car accidents. Obviously, there's right. one every 1.8 seconds or something ridiculous like that as a car crash. Yeah. But enough to be a thing. But like 90% or more than that, people survive their plane crashes. But this one was not one of those. Oh, no. So what's wild is there's a lot of different flights that have basically crashed and disappeared fully. And we have not gotten or explored the like remains of the planes or the debris sites. Wow. Or the, you know, the debris is not recovered. Mm-hmm. There's no bodies, nothing. Oh, wow. It's kind of freaky. Was this, what era was this in? Was this like 2000s, 1990s, 1980s? It's the 80s. 80s? Yep. Okay. 1980s. So say cuz like I know when did the black box become a thing? Do you remember? There well, I don't know when it became a thing, but there is a black box in this this flight and it's oh, okay. important. Okay, so prior to 1980 then. Correct. Okay. You could probably look it up if you want to. Yeah, I might. <laughs> well, while you do that, I'm going to start with basic I just wanted to put some basic definitions about plane crashes and what the true definition of like is when there is a flight quote-unquote accident right so quote-unquote an aviation accident is defined by the convention on international civil aviation annex 13 as an occurrence associated with the operation of an aircraft which takes place from the time any person boards the aircraft with the intention of flight until all such persons have disembarked and in which a a person is fatally or seriously injured B, the aircraft sustains significant damage or structural fa- failure. Or C, the aircraft goes missing or becomes completely inaccessible. A hull loss occurs if an aircraft is damaged beyond repair, lost, or becomes completely inaccessible. Okay. If I get my pilot's license, would you fly with me? Yeah. I want to do that thing where they like strap you on the top and I can cinch my waist and feet in (laughs) and you can do like spins and shit. I don't know if I want to do that with you. Why? Because I'd kill you. No, we would literally bolt down a T-bar. So like a bar on the base. You trust me to do like barrel rolls? I would. I would. Yeah, of course I would. I wouldn't trust the fact. I'd be more concerned about the hardware holding like bolted in than you doing whatever. If we're going to fucking crash, does it matter if I'm on top of the plane or in the plane? Does it really, truly matter? It depends on, on In the a crash, little plane? Not really. Yeah, I guess you're right. In a little plane? No. So, so I googled something real quick. So black boxes have been used as early as the 1950s. Whoa. But black boxes are actually orange in color, not yes. black. Did not yeah, know that. <laughs> they're or- Well, in the 80s, they were black quote-unquote, but they're surrounded by orange reflective tape, so when so they, they crash, they're them. visible. Right, yeah. Yeah, this comes into play. Oh, dope. Yeah. Well. Interesting, right? Yeah. But no, I, I didn't have that definition, so that's helpful. There you go. I'm not going into Flight 980 quite yet, but I'm going to talk about kind of like some past 
plane crashes and some cool fun stats that I thought was sweet. All right. But the first flight to lose more than 200 people actually happened a, not recently, but before Flight 980. It was in March 3rd, 1974. 346 people died in Turkish airline flight 981. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Right? That's crazy. What the fuck? And I was like, I looked that up and I was like, what? That's crazy. Right. Since, since this incident, there have been 33 aviation incidents to this day when 200 or more people have died. My God. That's crazy. That is crazy. Remember, this is for, again, 200 or more deaths. If you have a fear of flying, super sorry. We probably just made you a I have bit a little nervous. bit of fear of flying, but you know what? It's like I've embraced the fact that, like, the statistics are in my favor. That, like, Always. It's, it's less flying, likely yes. to get into an accident and flying. It can happen, but right. so can being struck by lightning, you know? Totally. Do you want another freaky fact? Yes, I do. This one's going to suck for for us but oh no the top 10 countries with the highest number of all fatal civil airliner accidents from 1945 to 2021 the top one is do you want to guess like country yeah america yeah the united states well are they accounting for the fact of like volume like is this ratio or is this like amount this is the highest number of the fatal civil airline accidents so i'm assuming that doesn't matter if it's one person or a hundred people that's well so i would argue like maybe that is actually less bad than you think because america flies more often than most countries maybe i don't know i don't know but you want to know what the second one is uh south uh no um africa russia russia oh that's it sketchy ass russia Hmm. russia russia Russia. followed by canada so North America is, you know, kind of dominating in that shitty stat. Right. But to make you feel better, on average, there's one fatal crash for every 3.7 million flights in greater than 90% of crashes, victims survive. Just going to drop you down, bring you back up. That's nice. That's good to know. All right. Now let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> Eastern Airlines is a Miami-based or was a Miami-based airline system. Six years after the flight and crash of Flight 980, they went under. Did they get bought out or did they just stop? No, they went, they dissolved. They filed bankruptcy. Oh, wow. So they were pretty popular. People were really surprised when they filed bankruptcy. But they, well, they filed in 1989 and fully dissolved in 1991. Was the crash, like, inevitably the reason, you know? I don't think so. It was just... It's hard to say. I think people were finding, like, Eastern Airlines, um, they did a lot of, like, hubs from basically Miami to, like, South America. They just did the short jumps. Right, right. But there's there's some theories why it might have gone on, on, well, might have gone under, maybe drug-related. Maybe it was more of less, like, pleasure airline, more, like, trafficking stuff. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, well. yeah. They went under. They went under. Um, but I don't necessarily, six years later, compared to Flight 980, I feel like it would happen sooner than that, because mm-hmm. people would really be averted. They'd be like, no, thank you. Right. So. Right. All right. So January 1st, 1985, Eastern Airline Flight 980, a Boeing 727, departed President Strasner International Airport in, oh God, Asuncion, Paraguay. 
I probably did not say that right. God. <laughs> so, I it's oh god it's not I definitely know I did not say that right but it's A S U N C I O N. The schedule was to go to Paraguay to Miami, with a scheduled stop in La Paz, Bolivia. Fun fact: La Paz is the highest capital in elevation in the world at eleven thousand nine hundred seventy-five feet. So we talk about the mile higher city in in Colorado, right? 5,000 plus feet. This is 11,000 feet. Almost 12,000, actually. 25 feet short of 12,000. So over double. At least over two miles high. Wow. The air quality up there is shite. The Boeing 727 was a new plane manufactured in 1982. It was prepared to hold and travel 180 people. On this particular flight, there was 19 passengers 10 crew members aboard. Two of the passengers were Eastern Airline pilots in transport. Seven were Paraguayan, three were American, and nine were Korean. For some reason, this flight was like eerily empty. It was weird. Of the seven Paraguayan passengers, three were from a rich family called the Matalomes. They were very wealthy from the home appliance industry. One of the Americans was the wife to the U.S. to the then U.S. ambassador to Paraguay. Mm-hmm. Her husband was supposed to be on the flight, but at the last minute, something came up, and she boarded alone to go visit her family for the holidays. That's sus! It's, it's sus, and it kind of sucks. That does suck, actually. Another American passenger was a man named William Kelly. He was the director of the Paraguay U.S. Peace Corps. It is suspected because he was the director, the Korean passengers were mostly orphan children up for adoption. Oh. Yeah, sucks. The two pilots in transport were Larry Campbell and co-pilot Ken Rhodes. Um, I'm sorry, the two pilots not in transport, pardon me, that were flying the plane were Larry Campbell and co-pilot Ken Rhodes. Okay. And there was flight engineer Mark Bird. He was in the cockpit as well. They're all American. Okay. Ken Rhodes was a military pilot. Mark Bird was a former Air Force fighter jock. Mark Bird was not supposed to be technically working, but he swapped a shift with somebody and got on this flight. Ugh. They would be landing and flying into El Alto, the highest international airport in the world. It rests at 13,325 feet. And planes have to land at 200 miles per hour due to the thin air. Oh my god. The average flight speed for landing is 140 miles per hour for a standard aircraft. And the reason why, the runways at higher elevation airports are almost double in length at 4,000 meters long or 13,123 feet. In reference, PWN or Portland, Maine, our longest runway is 7,200 feet in length. This is because at high altitudes, air brakes are not as effective due to the lower atmospheric pressure. Right. So to land at El Alto, pilots are required to wear oxygen masks until they get to the gate. Oh my God. Even, in their, even though they're in the pressurized cabin, they still have to wear oxygen masks so they can't pass out. Yeah, it looks like a long airstrip, but it's... It's crazy it's just, long. It's just high in altitude. Right, it's extremely high. It's higher than the capital. Wow, that's actually crazy. Right, it's almost three miles high. Passengers do not need to wear air masks because they're in the pressurized cabin, but again, if something were to depressurize, the things would drop, blah, blah, blah. Right. Wow. 
If passengers were to step outside without proper adaptation, they would start to experience signs of altitude sickness. Of course, I'm going to go into what the fuck altitude sickness is because I'm a medical professional and you guys want to know. I do want to know. I want to know, too, because I didn't know a lot. I knew enough to recognize it. Obviously, I fly. I have to be aware. But altitude sickness is when your body is not taking in enough oxygen, obviously, to do basic metabolic functions. This is common in people who do higher elevation treks and climbs. Altitude sickness comes into three stages, which is acute mountain sickness, high altitude pulmonary edema, and then high altitude cerebral edema. We'll go into each each three of these, I suppose. Um, acute mountain sickness symptoms are similar to a kind of a hangover. You get a general feeling of malaise, which is just the feeling of being unwell, not feeling well. Right. Dizziness, nausea, headaches, and just kind of muscle aches. You don't feel good, but you're like achy. You're like not confused, but like "Mm, something's not right. Right. And that's just low level. The next stage, which is high altitude pulmonary edema, is when fluid actually starts to accumulate in the lungs. This is due to the blood vessels are constricting, trying to increase blood pressure to accommodate for the lack of oxygen. When you, tr- when you increase b- blood pressure for too long, the fluid actually gets forced out of vessels into pulmonary spaces. It's very similar to people with poor circulation in their body, such as like diabetes, heart disease. Hmm. Same thing happens. But this is acute. This is quick. Hmm. Okay. This stage is the most common cause of death, actually, for any sickness, not the cerebral, this one. Because you t- some people don't make it past this one. Your, your symptoms, you can cough up pink frothy foam oh god have shortness of breath um you cough up the foam again that's your body trying to get rid of the fluid out of your lungs right and when you force fluid out of your vessels into your pulmonary space you're going to get blood accumulation as well like cells that go out as well the smaller cells platelets etc yeah so that's why it's pink right okay you'll have shortness of breath at rest you'll be confused you're going to have a severe headache and probably a lot of tightening and pressure in your chest. Jesus. So this is where most people just die. This is the most common stage of death. The yeah. reason why it's so deadly is most people kind of downgrade symptoms without proper acclimation. But it progresses so fast. People are like, yeah, I'm short of breath, but I know I'm high up. Or you're trekking up a mountain. You're like, I'm short of breath anyways. And you're, you're coughing and you're just like, eh, whatever. And you don't see the symptoms around your face or body because usually you're in the snow. You're on the altitude. Right. And then by the time it's too late, you're just, you're overexerting and you're gone. God. So let's see. High altitude cerebral edema. Fluid starts not only accumulating in the lungs, but also in the brain. This is obviously not fucking good. No, you should never have pressure on your brain. Nope. But you're going to have all the symptoms above. Again, this is kind of a build on disease. It gets worse and worse and you get all the symptoms. Right. But this is where severe loss of coordination occurs. You are confused. You have the true inability to take a full breath. You're like, <laughs> literally breathing like that. Oh, like, God. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. So you're, you're pretty screwed right. at this point. Yeah. You can't walk because, again, the pressure on your brain, your brainstem. And oh eventually God. you'll go into a coma if there's no medical intervention. And then you will you will die. What is it? cure for this they put you on like an oxygen mask or something they they have to slowly introduce oxygen for you take the pressure out sometimes spinal taps to relieve the pressure they'll take fluid 
out of your, your circulatory system because it's a closed system in your spinal cord and brain. They have their own system dedicated. Oh, wow. Cerebral spinal fluid. So, so spinal tap, really? Isn't that like the most painful procedure to get? I no, because you could argue like kidney stones or gallstones or pregnancy is the most painful procedure. But oh. there is studies associated with people who do get spinal taps where they get phantom pain in the spinal tap site because it creates scar tissue. Oh, no. Like women who get epidurals for pregnancy, they can feel the spinal tap site. But they try and numb the area as best they can. Your meninges don't necessarily, which is the things that surround your spinal cord. Mm -hmm. They don't have feeling, but it's all the surrounding tissues. Right. You actually can feel it crack when you go through that that kind of cartilage base. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, most symptoms come on within 12, 24 hours, and your body will adjust if you do it slowly and you don't just dump yourself in 13,000 feet. Right. Within about 24 to 48 hours if you don't need any medical intervention. So basically, you, if you do, do this right and you rest and you take your time, you can your body can adapt. It just takes more time. Right. So that's why people who do higher treks, they train with like the oxygen restriction masks. Mm -hmm. So their body can get used to the lesser oxygen. So yeah. That's crazy that you can like train <laughs> your body to like do that. Right. Like, you can slowly introduce it until it's like, okay, I'm used to this now. Right. Do you know on boxes of couscous, they have directions <laughs> for normal cooking and then high-altitude cooking? On couscous? Because it's very popular in, like, wherever they eat couscous. Nepal? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> like, high-altitude places. I Apparently can't... Bolivia? <clears throat> yeah. In the Patagonia? I just thought that was interesting because there's always... What's the difference in high-altitude cooking? Um, I think water may boil at a lower temperature because of the pressure, air pressure. Sure. I don't so know. So I think, like, you have to, like, simmer at, like, a meat. I don't know. Or the lack of air pressure. It's lower atmosphere. Well, yeah. But wouldn't wouldn't water boil faster in high-altitude places? Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to jump back to the pilots. Pilot Campbell's, this was his second attempt at landing in, basically, El Alto. Ground control basically has no radars, and their navigation on qu the equipment on planes is really unreliable. So the plane relied heavily on the flight crew to track their position. Mm -hmm. It was rumored that just 16 hours prior to the flight, prior to the flight, the f the pilot and the flight crew were seen at a party and they were drinking. Rules and regulations state that the pilots cannot consume any alcoholic beverage within 12 hours of departure or flying. Or, I'm sorry, or fly with a blood alcohol level of 0 0.04 or higher. Breathalyzer tests are only random. They're not mandatory to fly. Huh. So, but there was minimal belief that this was a potential part, you know, this party was affecting the way the pilots acted and the way, the reason why the planes crashed. So what's the cooking difference? Yes. So um, the they have high altitude preparation, which is a... Um, more water because it boils off faster. So I was correct. The higher the altitude, the lower the temperature water takes to boil. At 2,000 feet above sea level, the boiling temperature of water is 208 degrees versus the normal at level temperature of 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a so very minimal difference. Minimal, but enough to account for apparently uh, like a third or three-fourths cup of water. Yeah. So if I you can. were to boil like a cup of water it would 
boil faster at higher altitude right. than it would at lower. That's all. That's crazy. So you increase the water because <laughs> it will boil off faster. My hydrocolator <laughs> in my office is roans from anywhere from like 160 to 180 degrees and I grab the hot packs right out of the water and oh put it. It's like almost boiling. I'm literally probably giving myself nerve damage. Probably. In my hands. It's fine. Anyways. <laughs> All right. The flight departed President Strasner and Paraguay with a relatively normal projection. There was minimal visibility, so they were relying on the instruments on the plane for navigation, which is also an extremely normal event for pilots to have to do. They're trained to fly with zero visibility. Right. Of course. Absolutely, because they're in the clouds, other mm-hmm. ship. Yeah. On the course to El Alto... The Omega navigational system was known to have issues with its course, especially its higher altitudes. It was a known flaw in this, basically, navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a higher end discrepancy of four miles, which means it could be up to four miles wrong in any direction. Wow. Four miles radius. That's a huge, huge, di- I mean, up in the air, maybe a little, but when you're landing, four miles off the fucking runway. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> So at 1937, which for those who don't know, it's 737. I didn't know that. Wow, that's very close to the type of plane it is. 727 plane. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know. (laughs) The pilots told air traffic controllers in El Alto International Airport at La Paz, Bolivia, that there was an estimated landing at 747. The pilots crossed the Decone intersection and the the crew was cleared, whoa, to descend from 25,000 feet to 18,000 feet. Remember, the runway is at 13,000 feet. This was the last communication anyone had with the plane. After this last communication, the flight started to slowly move off course, and they're moving at 26 degrees to the right. We have no idea why the pilots did this, but there's a suspicion that they shifted to avoid bad weather in the area. Suspiciously enough, thunderstorms and high mountaintops look identical on the Omega radar, and this could be another reason why the pilots diverted. Hmm. Thinking that, you know, trying to go out and around. Right. That makes sense. The plane continued to fly in complete darkness, and they had heavy cloud cover. So, obviously, this was at night, and it was in December, so times, daytime is less. Yes. Within minutes, the plane diverted and crashed into Mount Illimani at roughly 19,600 feet. Mount Illimani is in the Andes Mountain Range with a height of 12, I'm sorry, 21,122 feet. Their tallest peak is 21,122 feet. It's a very popular spot for mountain climbing with its southern peak being its largest peak. That's a huge mountain. That is a huge mountain. Holy... And when you look at it, there's like, look at it, there's like one, two, three peaks, and you can see the southern being like the top pointy part. That's like a Bob Ross mountain right there. It's gorgeous. It's actually a really cool looking mountain. Right. That's why it's super popular. I'm assuming you like drive up on it and you're like, whoa. All right. So the impact on the mountain summit was unsurvivable. All 29 people were presumed dead. The only signal El Alto got that the plane crashed was a single click from the radio oh like someone was just about to say we're just like midday and then done nothing damn the crash was 25 miles away from el alto upon descending into the mountain the plane was in a cruise configuration 
This means the plane was in a leveling off phase before it begins to descend for landing. One report states that the plane crashed belly first, which made people speculating that the pilot was attempting to pull up at the last second. Yeah, that does make sense. Right, before the plane crashed, but it was clearly too late. Another report speculated the plane crashed nose first, shattering the fuselage, which is a long hollow tube that goes basically the length on the inner part of the the plane. Mm -hmm. So obviously a plane is long, narrow tube, but on the the outside is not the fuselage, it's the inner part. And then passengers sit like built around like inside of it. Yeah. Um was this based off of <clears throat> the like crash remains or I think it's just speculation. And oh, okay. maybe crash remains too, but who knows. Um when the airliner struck the mountain, the wreckage was scattered over a massive snow-covered glacier making it nearly impossible to get to. Well, I was just going to say, it looks like even in the summer, this is a s- mostly snow-covered mountain. Right. All the Well, yeah, it's 21,000 feet in the air. It probably yeah. never not has snow. Right. Ever. Yeah. So um, they crash probably towards the top. Jesus. 19,000 feet. Yeah. discrepancy. 2,000 feet below summit. So. I wonder if they were coming into the town from the backside of the mountain. Do you know? Well, this is the southern peak because it's the tallest. That's south. Right. So this is north. But this is a picture from the city. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what angle they came in at. It's a great question. Um, The impact was so strong. The people who resided in this valley that you're pulling up a picture of in that mm. village, yeah. they felt it. Oh, my God. They felt it. Holy crap. It hit crap. them out and they're like, whoa. The plane obviously missed its landing window, and El Alto was like, what the fuck? And the reports of the crash from the village came almost immediately. Yeah, I bet. I wonder if they could, like, see smoke in the distance Oh, probably, probably. The Bolivian Air Force was sent to find the wreckage. It took them 20 hours to get the first visual on it. They assembled an 11-man Red Cross volunteer team to make the trek up. Unfortunately, due to the higher elevation, frequent snow, I'm sorry, frequent snow is always a factor. By the time they discovered and started the trek up, the wreckage had two to three feet of snow coverage on it. With the fresh powder, it comes frequent avalanches Mm -hmm. and the team had to turn around. Heavy snowstorms, 60 mile an hour winds, high elevation, low temperatures and limited volunteers made this rescue mission very difficult. After one week, the Bolivian Air Force was officially called off. But that's just the Air Force. Soon after the crash, the chairman of ALPA, which is the Accident Analysis Board and representatives from La Paz and the U.S. Embassy, went to investigate further. There's a high-altitude recovery team in Peru that was suggested to come in, but the Bolivian government originally denied their access. Bolivia stated that it had better helicopters. (laughs) No. So eventually, they agreed to let the Peruvian ones come in after multiple attempts and failures. Right. The Peruvians actually even offered to send in a prototype high-altitude helicopter. Yet, when they went to reassemble in Bolivia, the crew was so sick from altitude sickness, they couldn't assemble it for days. Days. My God. An official named Bud Leopard, a chairman of ALPA, was willing to jump from a helicopter at 21,000 feet and ski down the mountain to the wreckage for an analysis. Oh, my God. And then trek the rest of the way down. They realized that the helicopter, even the high-altitude one, could not sustain the high winds and the weather conditions, and it was ultimately called off. 
Yeah, just as a frame of reference, I've been poking around at Mount Illimani on Google uh, Earth. This is a rough area. Like, it is just mountains for miles. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine, like, taking a helicopter up here and... If you don't know the Andes, it connects down into Patagonia, which is one of the most, like, wild, mountainous places in the Earth. Like, it's insane. Yeah, this is just rough territory. Right. Damn. Beautiful, though. Like, when you zoom out, there's, like, one blip of snow. Yeah, cool, there's a mountain here. Right. But... The high altitude mountains, there's one here, which is probably, what, 200 miles away? Yeah. Then there's this one, which is, like, 100 miles away. Yeah. It's it's massive. It's huge. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's wild. God, I love mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Two days after the crash, an experienced Bolivian alpinist, Bernardo Garachi, hired by the U.S. Embassy to do an ex... He was hired by the U.S. Embassy to do an expedition of the site. He has summited this mountain over 47 times. He's crazy. That's amazing, though. That's wild. He would be joined by Juan Pablo Año and Freddy Ortiz to do this expedition. They reached the site in two days without any oxygen support. (laughs) What? These guys are monsters. They're absolute fucking tanks. (laughs) They did confirm at the top there were no survivors or visual bodies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. This is, again, I think this is days later. Multiple days. Even if you took a leisurely helicopter to where it crashed, you'd probably just die anyway. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to get a visual on that. You have to be so trained. Like, again, we're looking at this and it's just like, it's just rough territory. Just a big ass mountain. I look at Katahdin and I'm like, ooh, that's rough. And I look at this and I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to start. This could eat Katahdin for breakfast. Oh, it could eat like 18 of them. And still be hungry. Right. Um, they did find some passenger items in some airline tickets, flight plans, and some more. Uh, they also wow. discovered blood, like dried blood, but there was no human remains. You'd be su- oh, man, that's surprising. I mean, it must have had to crash super hard then, because I'm thinking if it had crashed and a body went flying, it would be like perfectly preserved in that environment, you know? Well, if it crashed nose first and it, again... Like exploded. Shattered the fuselage, then all yeah. that debris goes in and then out. Yeah. Because it, it goes... Yeah, it probably just incinerated most of them. Right, or just shattered. I'm sure bodies were absolutely fucking shattered. And if they're going full speed at that mountain, not stopping... It sounds to me, based off of what you said, that like they just went full ham into this mountain. Right. Like, just nose first. Right, by the time they like, were able... they just able... had no idea. Well, that or... <clears throat> I mean, either way, even if they hit belly first trying to pull up, they still probably clipped a nose, and they just shattered, and then they broke the fuselage if they hit belly first it would just yeah. snap in half and then people fly out like the movie the gray oh god where he fucking yeah i know the what's movie. that actor shit um no you don't know have you seen that movie yes i have i hate it i watched it, it right it gives before, me nightmares i watched it like two days before i took a like six hour flight to scotland whoa look at this picture of the mountain liam neeson i'm a fucking moron yeah okay wow that ma- that movie gives me nightmares the drowning scene that's what gives me nightmares. And I watch oh, horror yeah. movies for breakfast. Like, that doesn't bother for me. <laughs> but that drowning scene. That was pretty bad. It's, that ruined me. That was a, that's a hard movie to watch. I don't know why. But also, I don't do well with plane crashes. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, they were also not able to find either of the black boxes because there's two. Right. So, a black box, for those who don't know, consists of a CVR, which is a cockpit voice recorder, and an FDR, 
a, a flight data recorder. The CVR records conversations from the cockpit and the FCR records flight data information like airspeed, altitude, etc. They were actually painted bright orange for visibility with, hey. ma- with tape so they can find them due to a plane crash. They are equipped with beacons that ping for 30 days and are designed to be extremely durable to withstand a severe plane crash. Right. They never found them? No, they did not. Oh, my God. Back in the 80s, they were actually built with only aluminum, which is obviously a flexi, bendy metal. Yeah. After this flight, not or shortly after, like, I think in the 90s, this isn't a direct quote, but from when I was doing research, and it's not in my notes... They change it to like a titanium base. Yeah, it's my understanding that black boxes are basically indestructible. They can withstand massive accidents. Oh, I mean, G forces yeah. up the wazoo. Yeah. So they changed it from again a titanium lead whatever or lead aluminum, aluminum, aluminum lead. Fucking, oh my god, that's I know so stupid. I could have told them that back then. I know. Maybe it wasn't necessarily. It's a softer metal. Maybe not like soft, soft aluminum. Maybe it was something different, but. They changed it to something extremely durable shortly after this, like within like five or six years. So once the team descended, the Bolivian military detained them, these guys that who went to the top. They detained them. They detained them. Yes. What's wrong with them? Um, They detained them and immediately questioned them for multiple days. For what? They were trying to help, right? Right. They were. They absolutely were. They were signed up to help. Um, right. They were taken to alternate location or an alternate location and then they were interrogated more. They were threatened to talk to not or not to talk to anyone about this crash and what they found. Okay, that's super sus. Isn't that sus as fuck? Yeah. (laughs) The Bolivian government hired, um, they basically hired more Bolivian people to try and make the trek after this instead of U.S. people. This time, they didn't find any blood or any bodies. But mm-hmm. on this expedition, um, this was the only one that was able to get kind of video footage of the site that was able to be maintained. Mm-hmm. So this is Trek 2. In July 1985, another Trek was made by Judith Kelly. She was a victim of the flight by losing... She lost her husband, David Kelly. Oh, I was going to say victim, like, in the accident? No, she was a victim from the flight. I see. Um, she took mountaineering courses and she was determined to make the trek for not just like the loss of her husband, but for the other families and victims of Holy shit on the flight. Good on her. What did they detain her too? No, no. <laughs> she took two weeks to acclimate to the high altitude when she flew in and then she made the trek. At the top, she spent her time reading the letters she wrote to her husband oh my and God. then she buried them along with other victim letters on the mountaintop. That's so sad. Can you imagine, like, you write to your dead husband? No. Well, did she know he was dead when she was writing? Or like, yeah. Oh. It was days after, like, the following days or weeks after that he wasn't home. Damn, that's so sad. That's awful. Yeah. Once she returned, she pushed for more thorough investigation. Because she's like, you guys need to do more. If I can fucking make it. And I'm a civilian that just trained. Then you guys can fucking make did it. Did she find anything of value, or just I don't she think was so. like, I can do this, so you can too. Right. Oh, okay. I think it's more like I can do this, you can too. And she did TV interviews about it. 
So at this point, she's number three. There's three separate teams that have made it up. and So it's not truly that inaccessible. So right. why is Bolivia being the way that they are? She went public about this t- this trip on TV and did multiple interviews like CNN, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Bolivia finally caved and put more money into it. <laughs> In October, 10 months later, yes, yep. fucking October. Wow. Greg Feith was hired to lead another expedition from the push from Judith Kelly. He is an air safety investigator, part of the U.S. Transportation Safety Board, and he was charged with conducting an on-site examination of the wreckage. She U.S.? U.S. So this has no Bolivian Not yet. interjection. Okay. Not yet. The fucking United States. And I put that. Yes, the United States fucking sent people not from Bolivia. This was an enduring trip as they were not provided with climbing gear and they had to equip their own personal gear to bring from the United States because Bolivia would not supply them with them. What? Okay, this is one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I am actually kind of happy I live in the United States and, like, represent, you know? <laughs> Rep. Rep the country. You know, we're not pieces of shit all the time. Not always. <laughs> this this next part, like, they're fucking trying to do this trek is just, it just makes you angry. So they had to bring their own gear. Bolivia would not help them. Yeah. They also had to carry their own food. So from the United States, they had to pack for weeks of food, essentially, because Bolivia said when they called them, like, we're going to need, you know, money up front and we're going to need to buy supplies in the town. They're like, well, the village is going through economical crisis, so we're not going to allow you to buy food. So let me get this straight. This lady gets on the news and is like, uh, my husband died. Bolivia's being a bunch of dickheads about it. Mm-hmm. And then the U.S. was like, you know what? We'll take care of it because fuck Bolivia. And then we will. So we'll go to Bolivia. And then Bolivia's like, yeah, if you want to, like, explore the mountain, go for it. But you're on your own. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and Bolivia's <laughs> like, yeah, we should probably do a better investigation, but hasn't done shit yet. Was the flight a Bolivia? Like, was it a Bolivian flight? I wonder if that maybe Eastern was- Airlines. It's American. So they were like, we don't care. Basically. Well, it's their territory. So to go into yeah, but, another country and explore, right. you need the fucking government's permission. It's they're sabotaging it the entire fucking way. Yeah, I'm just saying, what, I wonder if maybe they're, they were like, well, it was an American flight, so we don't give a shit, you know? Probably. There's like, some... that's the motivation behind it? Yeah, there's some sauce between that's so it. dumb. Bolivia's, yeah, Bolivia's being a basic bitch. Okay. So... So they shapped, they shipped in, whoa, they shipped, <laughs> they shapped, they shatted in their own. <laughs> I they will, sh- <laughs> I'll forever use the okay. past tense of shipped as shapped. Shapped in their <laughs> Oh my God. They shat in their own food. They shipped. <laughs> All right. No, fuck it. They shapped in their own food, which added obviously a lot of weight to their trip. Yeah. Bolivia was having a, a suppose it again, I'm going to reiterate, they're having an economical crisis and using credit cards were really difficult in the village. He okay. tried to get $2,500 in advance, which is what he needed, basically predicted for the trip. He was only able to get $600. Oh my God. So they had to pay out of pocket for the remaining funds. Holy crap. Right. So they had to come up with about a couple grand. Yeah. Um, all these issues were prior to the ascent. They haven't even gotten to the mountain yet. Right. So porters, which are people who deliver supplies, they deliver supplies to the wrong base camp when they're at the bottom of the mountain. They get to the base camp. They delivered it to the wrong one and further delayed their expedition. 
They sat on the outside. So when you have a base camp, like when you hike a mountain, it's usually in levels. Like Everest Base Camp, it's a trek just to get to the base camp. It's days. The base camp's a big fucking deal. So they have people who bring in supplies to the base camp, like loaded up. Right. And you go to the wrong base camp on the wrong side of the mountain, it's days to go around the base of the mountain and then back up to the base camp. It's a problem. Yeah, sounds like a big problem. And not only, like, they didn't even get it directly delivered to their base camp they were at. They had to hike down the mountain and wait in the exposed elements for hours to get their food. Oh, my God. The expedition, this one that they finally did, was a crew of seven people total, including Bernardo from before. But they were only supplied in two tents that housed two people each when they brought the supplies, the porters. Oh, my God. No stoves, what the fuck today? No stoves or food with supplies, was supplied. Just start that. Well, I'm going to start that fucking over. Just start over. No stoves or food was supplied. (laughs) Which is crazy. So they had some supplies, but they didn't get extra that they needed basically to the base camp. And again, no stoves, that means they couldn't cook food. Right. They had to basically like cold soak everything. Good Lord. So now they had minimal food, they had to ration, and they had minimal supplies to cook on. And they were all now in a calorie deficit. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, on top of this whole, like, financial, like, <laughs> hardship, um, also eating food is going to be an issue, too. Right, so they Come had on. to ration to just continue this trip, but they were determined. Damn, good for them. One climber immediately hit stage two altitude sickness, which is pulmonary edema, if you remember. Yes, I do remember. I do remember. This climber, plus one more, immediately descended back down the mountain to get a medical help. That would be So me. they're down to five. <laughs> I would be that guy. would be like, oh, I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> I'm getting off this fucking mountain. Right. One climber fell into a crevice. And if you haven't seen... Jesus. Y'all seen like Ice Age and shit where they like go down like those fucking like 40-foot cracks? Yeah, that's Did legit. Did he die? No. He, he didn't survived. Die. They were able to recover him out of this crevice, and he kept climbing up. A fucking what a monster! monster. Holy shit! He's I'd have been like, I'm tank. fucking done. Fuck what a shit. god! Like, are you serious? Jesus! Man, so he was metal. able to continue, but then another climber started showing early signs of altitude sickness, mm-hmm. and then another showed signs of altitude sickness. So that's four down. But this isn't a, at at this point. It's not a fault of Bolivia, right? It's no, just this is because it's... well, they're also calorie deficient and they can't metabolically process things well. <clears throat> right. And then so it puts you a little bit more at risk to doing this. No, they need couscous. <laughs> no, they don't need couscous. <laughs> um, so basically, they're down to three members to finish, and these two people that had kind of stages of altitude sickness turned around and went back by right. themselves as they because they couldn't. Well, they went by themselves, but because they couldn't spare any more members. Yeah. They made it down. Just so everybody knows. That's good. So three members made it to the top to finish the expedition and dig for wreckage. At this point, the snow was 20 to 30 feet deep and digging down was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Finding the flight recorders was seemingly impossible. The crew started their trek down. The first two who dipped out made it down on one trip. The problem was the rest of the crew, they need more supplies to survive basically making it to the remainder to the top 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 of the mountain and right. then to the trip down yeah 
So they reached out to Bolivian Red Cross again. They're like, we're low on supplies. We need some food and we need more cook stove equipment to keep digging and to, you know, explore more. So they like, okay, we'll bring you some shit. You know what they brought them? Is fucking clothes and two gallons of Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid? Kool-Aid. Would they uh, helicopter it up? I'm assuming they sent like a porter. Damn, Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. The fuck? Yeah, that's stupid. So at the end of this entire track, a couple pieces of wreckage was discovered at the height of 20,098 feet. The flight data recorder and cockpit recorder was not able to be recovered. And the information on the black boxes has still not been recovered. Okay, so they did find it, but it was just too damaged? They were not recovered yet. Has not been recovered yet. It's not damaged yet or recovered. Hmm, Okay. So I'm just saying the the black boxes have not been recovered and the information has not been. I see. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. The debris that they found was spread over, again, 20 to 30 feet of snow deep. But what was recovered on this part of the expedition was small parts of the aircraft cockpit, official flight-related paperwork, and a few passenger items. So because this crash was on a glacier, like a true glacier... The snow melts, reforms, refreezes, melts, etc. Yeah. And the de- the debris was constantly moving, shifting, changing, sliding up, sliding down. So in 2006, 20 years almost later. 20 years later. Because it happened in 1985. Holy. A group of climbers uncovered wreckage. There were no bodies, but more passenger items were recovered. And locals believed it was only a matter of time before more items were actually uncovered from the glacier. Wait, is this because the the stuff comes up? Or de- does it get buried more? It'll explain it in a second. Okay. So wait. So I'll tell you why they're starting to find this stuff now. Okay. So Dan Futrell and Isaac Stone made it their mission to recover the black boxes, essentially. Dan's a former soldier in Iraq, and Isaac is a formal roommate from his in MIT. They trained oxygen in oxygen deprivation, elevation athleticism, and high elevation adaptation. They were joined by three more people, which is a blogger, Peter Frick Wright, a climbing guide expert, Robert Roch. Robert Roch. <laughs> sorry, buddy. An expedition <laughs> cook, Joe, um, Jose Lazo. This was officially now the fifth expedition of Flight 980. They had hoped to be bringing back the remains for the victims' families, like human remains, and also the black boxes. Yeah. Due to the ever-changing glacier and the warmest year, and this was the warmest year on record for the area, debris was slightly lower in elevation from the melting in the slide of the snow. Hmm. Okay. So that's why there gotcha. are they're starting to see things. So <clears throat> within they made it to the top, no issues, no like delays like the last expedition. Well, all the training, I imagine. They were, like, ready for it. Right, and the food, and there was, again, no Bolivia intervention. (laughs) Within the first few hours of searching, the first true human remains were finally recovered. No way. Some were so well-preserved that some actually had skin, muscle, fat, and nerves. I knew it. Okay, I was going to say, if there were bodies up there, that that is, like, no oxygen, high, or really low temperature is, Mm -hmm. like, the perfect preservation. Right. Yeah. They found six different human remains. And then they found, remember Judith Kelly? Kelly? They, yeah, found they found the letters. Her... They found the letters that she buried. 
Oh no way! Wow. She didn't <clears throat> die. Do you think they found her up there? No, I thought you were gonna say she found her. They found her husband. Oh no. Okay. No, they found the letters that she buried up there for the victims, basically, and a lot more passenger items. Damn, what they went ham up there. They did, and again, <clears throat> it was all exposed now because it was the warmest record year. Right. So, you know what they also found was hundreds of thousands of dollars of lizard skins. <laughs> what? That were illegally poached and were more than likely being transported to Miami for distribution. So this is a flight coming. Wait, I thought they were going going to Bolivia. It was going to Florida? It was going to Miami. They just stopped in El Alto. Oh, okay. As it was a layover. They went from Paraguay, Bolivia to Miami. Hmm. So that's a sus flight. Mm Mm-hmm. After digging and pushing for on their last day, they finally found a piece called CKPTVORCDR, the black box. Oh, great. Right. Ultimately, and unfortunately, because the black box was found in Bolivia by Americans, even though Eastern Airlines is American, they needed special permission from the Bolivian government to take it. Fuck that. I would have literally just been like, I didn't find a black box, and then just bring it home. Unless they were stopped and interrogated. I don't know. It could, it's a possibility for what they found. Oh, my God. Like, anyone would believe that that's the black box from that flight anyway, 20 years later, you know? I mean, if you're hiking up a mountain, <clears throat> and you have to tell... I mean, when you go to, like, Trek Nepal and stuff, you have to, like, tell people what the fuck you're doing. You can't be like, here I am. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Same, I mean, you hike a ton. They're like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And you're like, I'm just hiking it for fun. They're like, okay. The hell? What are their bodies up there? No. They just ask you. So there's checkpoints. I bet there's w- at least one body. No. Oh, <laughs> up there? Yeah. Uh, Last year, pe- six people died on Katahdin. Were they all recovered? Yes. And f- well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Helicopter- we can helicopter people <clears throat> off Katahdin. Okay. Yeah, just, it's not that big in retrospect. No, it's just all about the right conditions. So they basically went to Bolivia to get them to release the black box so they could analyze the recordings. They met with the Bolivian general director of civilian aviation and the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board to get the official items. This is very difficult because American and Bolivia didn't have a great relationship. Clearly. In 2008, Evo Morales or Morales kicked out was kicked out, or I'm sorry, he kicked out the U.S. ambassador out of the country and accused him of planning a coup, which is <laughs> obviously ridiculous. Yeah. But a coup, C-O-U-P, it's when someone or a group of people try to overthrow or remove a government of its power. So if you're, like, suspicious and basically shelling out that tiny PP energy, then you do <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> a coup. A coup. But finally, in January 2017, the black box was handed over to the Americans. In February, when they went to evaluate what was called the cockpit voice recorder rack in the flight data recorder pressurized container assembly. These are the exterior pieces of the actual flight recorder that housed the actual data spool. When they went to remove the spool and analyze it, it ended up being an 18-minute recording of Trial by Treehouse which is an episode of the TV show from I Spy, dubbed in Spanish. What? What, were they fucking watching a show in the middle of a flight? Did someone swap it? What? What? That's oh what they found. Oh my god. 
Oh my god, the Bolivian government could have swapped it. Did they swap it? Yeah, they must have. I mean, they already hate America. I wonder what was on there. I wonder if they were hiding something. Oh my god! This is cr- Okay, this story just got cool. <laughs> so, that's kind of like where the Flight 980 ends. Is that what was found? To this day, that's what's been found. But that's there's some bullshit. Right, but there's some facts about the airline that's important to know. So, okay. in 1986, 22 Eastern Airline baggage handlers were charged with drug tra- drug trafficking of over 300 pounds of cocaine to Miami every single week for three years. Jesus. They would fill extra suitcases with cocaine, send them on specific flights. Baggage handlers on the receiving end would set these cases aside for smugglers to distribute. They also hid cocaine in various places on the plane, and in one case, a pilot stated that he found some under his seat. It is stated that this airline distributed 25 to 40% of all cocaine in the United States. (laughs) Oh my god. Holy crap. One airline. But... There was also a rumor that this airline was money laundering for the Matian drug cartel. Money would be loaded on pallets and then essentially sent to the U.S. for cleaning and scrubbing. Okay. So, theories. I have one. It might align with what's already out there. I'll just, I'll, I'll hit through my list. Okay. So, was it faulty maintenance due to the, you know, to the plane because it's kind of old and it's had some issues, but it's... Who knows? It's probably unlikely due to the plane having no prior issues. And it was kind of up to date on maintenance. Doubt that the plane had any true issues. Yeah. Um, was it the unreliable equipment, the inability to see? Yeah, the Omega radar sucked in that the thunderstorms and mountains seem identical. But why would they be flying towards, unless they're flying around it and just went like towards a mountain trying to avoid a thunderstorm and they hit the mountain instead? Possible. Was there crew sabotage? There's not a lot of motive to kind of support this, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. Passenger sabotage? Probably unlikely. Yeah. Very unlikely. I don't see that. Why was Bolivia so against America? Why were they trying to hide it? And did they swap the black box out, the information out of it? Because they had it for almost a year before they turned it over. Right, right. Um, was it the drug cartel? Was there something going on with the smugglers? Or, you know, and that's it. That's all I have for theories. I, okay, so... What's your theory? So my theory, it, it literally fits like a puzzle piece. Yeah. So I genuinely think it was probably an accident. Yeah. Like, like the crash was a, a catastrophe. Right. I don't think pilots would intentionally crash a plane, or I don't think it might have been, like, sabotage or anything. Yeah. Because I... nothing really makes sense to, like, why you'd crash a plane, especially if it was like money laundering or for those reasons it does not make sense for a pilot to crash a plane but there's other reasons why pilots would crash planes perhaps but in this case my theory is that it was a accident but bolivia knew the history of the the cargo and they were like oh shit there's probably either a fuckload of cocaine on that on that flight or perhaps something illegal Right, because it just dissolve into the snow. Right, we're not going to deal with it. And so when America's like, okay, we're going to deal with it because it's an American plane, Bolivia's like, we don't want you to do this, so we're going to fight you at every every step. 
and like not really help you because we know that it's illegal so we don't want our people to get in trouble Mm -hmm. so i think bolivia knew that it it was potentially a drug cartel or or it had something illegal associated with it because why else wouldn't they help like i mean any sensible country regardless of their like financial status would be like holy shit a plane crash like wouldn't you want to help like to some degree at least i can't tell you how many flights have crashed and countries claim them inaccessible and just let it go that's just so sad like hundreds of flights this is just one i could do a whole podcast on suspicious flight crashes yeah okay so even so it still simultaneously explains the black box if they if they were it like, does because they could have swapped if they it. were like no you can't have it this is ours and they like listen to it and they're like the pilots might have referenced the cargo or maybe they were like even if they didn't we still don't want america to have anything any clue any yeah. clue yep and why so they is, swapped it why is a tv show in a black box recording that just that just doesn't make any sense zero it had to have been swapped or something something got messed up something got fucked yeah yeah i fully agree with you i think that's a really good theory i don't think it was an actual intended crash i think the omega system had a big part in it Mm -hmm. considering again thunderstorms and mountaintops look the same which is fucking stupid but again it's the 80s i'm patient with it technology (laughs) was coming (laughs) so pilots have now like they don't even like fly no, they just like press commercial? a button. Yeah, yeah, they just like the plane does it all. They right. just kind of are there to like make sure it's actually doing. And they what like it's nudge to do. it like to the right a little bit a degree. They're like, oh, there's a little extra wind. Not but, saying I'm not saying that pilots pil- are intensely pilots trained. Are, yes. I'm not saying your job is shite. Right. It's just it's it's technologically advanced, and you're there to monitor the technology and intervene when necessary. And right. you have such extensive training that if a flight goes down, you can land it safely. Yeah. So they are trained to with no technology. wonderfully, wonderfully trained. So not shitting on pilots. It's just you have great advances. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, definitely L- better lucky than for what you. it was in the 80s. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like actually holding a fucking thing and driving. Right. So and where storms can get you crashed into mountain sides. Right. Damn. That's a good one. I like that. That's it. I dig it. I dig it. It was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. Well, if you'd like, you can send us a Gmail at starmintspodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Instagram at starmints podcast. Are we starmints podcast? Okay. We're at starmints podcast. <laughs> we post some content. We have some cool shit coming up. Yeah, I was thinking we could probably start doing questions on there, like I Q&As would- and stuff. Um, And the next episode, um, just to sort of kind of give you a little brain teaser, is um, I'm just going to say this. Aurora Borealis, the thing that you know and love, um, is not the only Aurora that you've experienced or know about. And there are many Auroras to discover in the universe. And we're going to cover some of them. Some of the coolest Auroras that you've ever heard of. So that's your little brain teaser. Stop it. (laughs) We're going to get like DMCA'd. No, we're not. It's not that good. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. It's not that good. I think it's pretty good. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.